Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos. And this is Dr. Richard Benton. And this is a special edition of the Bible as Literature podcast, a kind of epilogue to our posting of Father Fuad's speech that he presented at the Solidarity Rally in Chicago. Richard and I talked at length about whether or not to post the speech. Honestly, we had concerns because the agenda of a political movement is not aligned with the agenda of the writers of Scripture. At the same time, the agenda of the writers of Scripture is to bear the wound of the downtrodden. And in the case of the conflict between the peoples of the Holy Land, I prefer not to say Arabs and Israelis or Palestinians and Israelis, because from the perspective of Scripture, there is no such thing as a border. There is no such thing as a nation. There are people in the land which belongs to God. From that perspective, there is civil strife between brothers and sisters. And because of that deep wound, which has caused trauma that spans generations, it's difficult for any thinking and feeling person to remain on the sidelines in a discussion like that. When God calls one of us to be his dulos, his slave, you know, we come as we are. We've got our thing. We have what we are. We have our personality. We have our history. We have everything. And this is all what's called into being his slave. And you and I have talked a lot on the podcast of this pull of biology that will come into conflict at times with the will of God. And I know, you know, I have friends who are refugees, and I have friends who are children of refugees, and you, Father, are the son of a refugee. And being cast out of the land before being called as God's slave sets up a special kind of tension where one's feeling, where one's splankna, as we talk about, where one's guts have such a strong influence on how we think and how we perceive that it's impossible to see even the cross and the crucifixion itself without that. And so you and I are always talking about how the reading of Scripture and the rereading of Scripture is what sets that will and that feeling in line with the will of Scripture and the will of God. And so I thought that this speech really gave us a great opportunity to talk about what does it mean to bring one's will into alignment with God's will, or even eliminating it, subjugating it, to God's will. And this is the challenge that we run into as those who aspire to be, as we've been talking about, the good servant and not the wicked servant. What does this mean to bring one's will into accord with the will 
of Scripture. Father Fuad, when he was speaking, mentioned that he was the son and the grandson of Palestinian refugees. And I could say the same of myself on my mother's side. And it's complicated because when there's a civil war, it does damage. It does damage to families and people react in different ways. And immigrants understand their relationship to their history in different ways. As a scholar, you talk about this all the time. Some people run from their history. Some people accept their history. Not everybody identifies with history in the same way. People have their prerogative. But from where I sit, it's clear that everyone, one way or another, deals with the trauma of war. And the trauma is intense. And those sins have consequences. And they create more sin, like the teaching in Genesis that the sins of the fathers are visited upon the seventh generation, meaning the sin will fulfill itself until it exacts its punishment and its suffering. It's definitely true. It was true of the civil war between Arabs and Jews. I don't call it a revolution. I don't call it the Nakba. I call it a civil war between brothers and sisters. Obviously, there was colonial intrigue that contributed to that civil war. But at the end of the day, it was just a civil war that is still bleeding. But like any war, it creates trauma. And that trauma results in anger. And that anger is a sin. We've talked a lot on the podcast about the sin of the victim mentality over the years. That's because each time I open the gospel to study it, to preach it, to investigate what it is saying, I am still confronted with the wound of the suffering in the Middle East and specifically the suffering in Palestine, Rich, because you know me. We've been brothers for a long time. We've been on this journey to hear scripture for decades together. You know that the primal sin, when you see injustice in the world, and when you're close to the trauma of that injustice, when you see the damage that injustice does to people you love, even when they can't see the damage it's done, the response is anger, even rage. And as I came into my own as a young man and I traveled to the Middle East and saw with my own eyes the situation, as I began to experience, even in my high school years, for the first time, racism, genuine racism. And as I came into my own as an intellectual, as I grew older and began to understand and be able to articulate truly for myself, intelligently, that injustice. It only deepened my anger. And then I had the good fortune of going to seminary and for the first time hearing the prophets. The first time I heard the Lord's wrath coming out of the scroll of the prophets, obviously I was sitting in Old Testament 101, shrinking in my chair listening to Father Paul preach to us, I felt relief. I didn't feel afraid. I didn't feel overwhelmed. 
I didn't feel even intimidated. I felt relief because suddenly, suddenly somebody besides me recognized that something was wrong with the situation. Somebody besides me understood that everything was screwed up. That it is not okay. That every time I told someone as a kid that my father was from Egypt, the first thing they would ask me is, do they have cars in Egypt? I mean, this is the life of an immigrant in the United States. It's not okay that every time you mention your family is from the Holy Land and then they find out that you're Palestinian, they start telling you you're a terrorist. Or that if you try to explain how beautiful Arabic names are, someone tells you you should call your kids an American name so that you blend in. I could give so many examples of what it was like even growing up in Minnesota and constantly being shushed so that I could blend in. I went to Columbine High School. I know the anger of those kids. I didn't want to kill anybody. I know that there's this anger. Why is it that in the United States we have families that move here and then their kids want to go and join ISIS? In the UK, people move to the UK, the parents get great jobs, and then the kids want to go to Syria. Women want to go to Syria. What is this? What's broken? And I know that I am not the child of refugees. I have not suffered. My people have not suffered. I have my Irish family, and they suffered plenty. That's how they ended up in this country. But I'm not connected to those stories. But like you said, Father, there's something deeply broken in this country. There's something deeply broken in the heart of the human being. And you and I were both attracted to Scripture because Scripture finally said, yes, there's something broken. I mean, I can take my own thing. You know, I spent time in Eastern Europe. I remember my dad came to visit me, and he had photos of me that he brought back home. And then he would show his friends these photos, and his friends would say, yeah, it's very gray there. You know, that's how I always imagined it. And my dad would say, it's because it's March. Everything's gray in March. What do you mean it's the way you imagined it? People become so closed-minded, and they don't realize the brokenness of the human heart. And if they don't recognize the brokenness of the human heart, they can't recognize their own broken heart. And they can't understand, therefore, the response that Scripture provides to the broken heart. And when I'm saying the broken heart, I'm not saying the one who is sad because their beloved left them. I'm talking about the people who have lost what they knew was themselves, what they knew was their land, what they knew as their language. And Scripture says, here's the solution. It was never yours. It was part of your brokenness that this is what you attach to. My anger as the son of immigrants from the Middle East and the son of refugees who themselves are struggling with their footing between the Middle East and the West and all the weird complications surrounding that transition and the damage it's done to my family and the people that I love. In the midst of all of that, 
as a kid, I felt anger and frustration. And I understand the black community intimately because anybody who wants to hold on to their history when they're from an immigrant community, even though I was born here, feels the same pressure because the minute you step out of line and don't drink the Kool-Aid and toe the line of what you're supposed to be and blend in to the melting pot, you feel constant pressure. That's why I love James Baldwin because he articulates it so well that everyone can give in to this lie of no history called white because their skin allows them to. And I will always be thankful to James Baldwin because he articulated what I always felt growing up in this country because I chose not to give in despite my skin color. I chose not to, quote, become white. And I understand the consequence of that. But here's the thing. It doesn't change the fact that my anger before God is not justified. And that's the point that is critical for this epilogue to Abuna's speech at the rally. Because I feel a personal, emotional, visceral connection to Abuna Fuad. Because as a Palestinian, as a human being, he was my priest when he stood up just on a basic human level because he spoke for us as a people. But as a man of scripture, I have to say first and foremost that it is my sin that is condemned. That when I felt relief as a student of Father Paul, Hearing the proclamation of God's wrath in the voice of the prophets. As a student, I was relieved that God understood that the world was broken. But as I pursued that teaching, and I examined and explored that teaching, I soon realized that God was not angry with the world. He was angry with me. And that initiated the true liberation from sin. And this is the wound, this is the thorn in the flesh that animates me. This is the wound that I carry to every single podcast every single sermon. It is the sin that I am at war with. Every time they pour lead down Gaza's throat, I make a decision not to speak out, not to react, because the land belongs to God. And I have to accept that the actions 
of those who would act against us are the right hand of God against us for my sins. At the same time, I don't live in Gaza. So those of us on the outside have no right to utter platitudes dictating to the Palestinians that they should be pacifists or they should tolerate it or they should be this or they should be that because we're not living through their suffering. So we have to bear witness to their suffering at the same time. So it's this very difficult line that Father Fuad had to walk in dealing with such a complex crowd. It's so difficult. We're in this complex situation where you have to somehow support a people who have no support, but you have to speak the prophetic word, which ultimately is always against us. We can't speak a prophetic word against them. It's always against us. That is the heavy burden of the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the Apostle Paul is crucified to the world, and the world is crucified to him. Father Fuad was able to speak to a group of not only Christian and Muslim Palestinians, but also Jewish people, in order to speak about the importance of the cleansing of the heart. I'm grateful for our conversation today, Father, as we ponder the words of Father Fuad and remember the importance of the prophets and the prophetic message, and that it may never ever spur us to self-righteousness. Yes, the Palestinians, they should be doing this, they should be doing that. Let's always remember, first and foremost, our own transgression of Torah, our own desire to listen to our own will before the will of the God of Scripture, that we remember, first and foremost, our role in this calling is as Dulos, his slave. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then I will teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. I think that's the point that Abuna was driving at with his selection of this verse, driving at the importance of the conversion of our heart in order to reach our brothers and sisters. And there's so many lines in this psalm, Richard, that are so important. This is the psalm that in our tradition, the priest recites by memory when he senses the temple, when there's no deacon present. And this is the verse that I think is so critical and reminds us of the folly of ancestor worship. This can't be about our Palestinian legacy or the legacy of our human histories either. Because, as David said, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin, did my mother conceive me? Thanks very much, Dr. Benton. Thank you, Father.